Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I am Liz Beauvais. And a lot of times we take our topics that we discuss either from our own experiences or from experiences that our listeners share with us to really try to help provide some support, some of our insights, and things that really impact the rare disease community. And this week, um, our topic's actually going to come from my experiences. So this week, I saw a brand new specialist. Um, So I was a new patient with a specialist, and it was the first time I was meeting her and having her really discuss my health and my disease. And so we thought we'd talk today a little bit about what that's like as a rare disease patient, starting basically over with a new doctor and just kind of our insights and our thoughts about that. Yeah, so it's been a while since I have had a new doctor myself, and I think this will provide a really good opportunity. I tried to connect with an oncologist about two years ago, um, closer to me to try and get my Zomata infusions done, but they ended up being denied by insurance. But that was a really kind of discouraging experience for myself, particularly due to how much time I was given in the appointment as well. And after kind of doing the preparation of sending in my records, trying to collaborate with my doctor so that this person knew ahead of time what was going on, because I knew, you know, you have 10 to 15 minutes in an appointment. And I walked in the door and it was as though she had no idea what was going on, what I was there for. Um, Just kind of a poor experience with trying to get connected with somebody new in adult care. Um, But I am looking forward to hear from you, Liz, what your experience was. I hate that adult care appointments are usually like 10, 15 minutes. There's not much that can get done in that time. When I was looking at this appointment, I was actually really happy to see that they had scheduled it for an hour. Now, what I will say it was actually in there for two hours. So at one point, um, the doctor even had the other doctor that was in the room actually go off and start with other patients because she realized that the one hour was nowhere close to being enough to really understanding my history and what I needed help with and where we needed to focus. So I, I actually really appreciated that she didn't stick to the timeline that they were given But I also kind of wonder if it really does take two hours for our disease, for a doctor to understand our history, where we are, where we're going, why they even think that 15 minutes or even a half hour is enough for a new patient appointment. I do wonder, too, the way we connected with these doctors is different versus like when I started to get this appointment, I was the one who made the call. Um, searched online to set up to find this person. And I think yours was a bit different, right? Like your doctor set you up? Mm -hmm. So mine was different in that, and we've talked about this a lot, is that we are adults in pediatric care, but there's a lot of things that we can't do in pediatric care because we're too old for it or our bodies are a little bit different. And so this doctor actually came to one of my appointments in the pediatric care center last spring. So she had already sort of been introduced to me and had a little bit of an idea of where I was at that point in my journey. And then um, the pediatric center worked to get me referred to her and worked to help get me on her schedule. It also is just that a lot of doctors, and I'm sure it's not just the Philadelphia region, but everywhere, 
have lots of patients. So to be able to add a new patient, sometimes it does take like six to seven months, especially in adult care, to even get that new patient appointment. So it wasn't like I just went out and found a doctor. I was like, I hope this doctor can treat me. Um, This was a very planned approach to finding a new care provider. I guess with like my question, and this is more of a systemic question, but I guess for me, it's like hard to understand why is it so different? Like, why is adult care so different than pediatric? Is that because adults are more likely to be ill than kids are? I've wondered that too. And I was thinking that as I was like sitting in the waiting room, I know we've talked about how anxious we are in the waiting room at the pediatrics area, but there's at least, I don't know, cartoons on TV and pretty things to see. Where when you walk into an adult waiting room, it's very like sterile, very like unemotional, just very bland. But it, it almost feels like in pediatric care, there really is the focus on the individual and the impact that care has on their life. Whereas it almost feels like in adult care, it's very much rigid of this is why you are here. You're here to do this. We're going to follow this plan. And that's what we're going to do. We're not going to get too personal or too into your life. Whereas I feel like pediatric care, because they are focused on children and want to focus on them growing into being the best adults they can be, it really is a little bit more emotionally backed when you're looking at care. Yeah, I think like there's part of that I haven't felt that adult doctors care about what we're trying to do and what's priority in our life. I think that they much more take like what is important for treatment or what is important for um, treating like the disease per se, where it's like, I think sometimes they don't understand you and I have jobs and you and I have things outside of the illness that are important to us. Because a lot of adult doctors treat illnesses that are treatable and manageable. And ours can be quite the opposite sometimes where it can flare and things can become um, a shift in our quality of life and a shift of what we do day to day. And I don't think that they understand that the way that I feel they need to. And I think it's also interesting And I know, Taylor, you and I have talked about frequency of specialist appointments. This is like, this has probably been the longest time since I've started being treated for this disease that I've gone between specialist appointments. And that longest time is a month and a half. So as I was like sitting there in the waiting room, watching like the patients come out and book their next appointments, appointments are, oh, they'll see you in a year. They'll see you in eight months. I was thinking, I don't think I, I don't think our disease go eight months without a checkup in there. Like it's, I feel like if we went more than three or four months, our doctors would be like, Hey, is this still working? Do we need to adjust stuff that like, I just don't think it works in the same cadence as a lot of adult care follow-ups. Yeah. I would say when I did have those spurts of time too, it's because I wasn't managing my disease appropriately throughout college I, um, you know, would skip my appointments or skip a couple months. I'd cancel, um, you know, a week before and, and I wasn't like, that wasn't my priority of taking care of me in college. Like I just wasn't in that mindset. 
and it showed because I was in the hospital like once a month, realistically. Like I would just let myself get so worn out and then end up in a hospital versus now, knock on wood, it's probably been a good year since I've been in a hospital. So like I think those appointments are necessary for us to like stay in a place where we're having some sort of, I don't even know if stability is the right word, but functioning, I should say. Yeah. And that's kind of what scares me about fully transitioning into adult care with new doctors is are there, are they even able to take on the bandwidth of seeing patients that frequently? Um, just kind of my experience is every adult specialist I've had, if you're seen more than twice in a year. That That's very unusual. Like one good example is I see an adult GI doctor because we have a lot of GI symptoms. and um, my last appointment was supposed to have been this past fall and I had, was going through my fertility cycle and the appointment was the exact same time as my fertility treatments. So they, the fertility doctors were like, you really need to call and see if they can just move that appointment around because you really can't be in two places at once. And we really need to monitor you each day for this. So I called and the earliest appointment they could get me in for a follow-up appointment was five months later. So even having like the ability and bandwidth to fit someone in when things change or there's an emergency, I just don't see that as much in adult care as I do in pediatric care. They get into that routine of putting us out so far in expectation of not really wanting us back and wanting it to just kind of fix itself and expect us to drop off in the system. It seems a lot of adult care is that way where it's like, see you then. And then, um, you go even back to that appointment and they're not ready for you. They don't even remember you. That's so true. So to share, going back to my GI appointments, my first GI appointment, I had both a fellow and then like the attending came in for like the last like five to 10 minutes just to make sure what we agreed upon made sense and where everything was. And he was so, the fellow was like sort of excited because this was something new and different. And I, not that I liked it, but I also can understand that he's like, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And this is an opportunity for me to do that. So after that appointment, they had scheduled me for like two months out. And the what they had said was, we just need to talk to the other doctors. We need to figure this out. We don't have an answer now. Come back in these two months and we'll have something for you. So the two months go past and I come back in the two months and the attending that was there is not even the attending on this next appointment. Um, and I talked to the fellow and I was like, did they figure this out yet? And he's like, I got a one word text message that said no. So it it was clearly like it was almost like, yeah, they wanted to they really wanted to do some sort of support and they wanted to think through it. But they're so busy. I think they're just so busy with so many of these 10 minute appointments that they really don't have the time to dig into these rare cases or if it's not in their specialty, do they even really have time to research it? I wonder too, with how many patients they have though, if they were really interested in making that work or at the last minute they were like, oh shoot, so-and-so's on my schedule this week. Let's follow up about that. And then of course, like, no, nobody has looked into it. And I know that's an assumption and I know that sounds really pessimistic, but I feel like that's the experience I've had. 
But again, I think that goes down to a little bit of, and at least in the United States, healthcare is a business. Um, healthcare systems have metrics. They have to be able to see so much revenue come through. They need to be able to see so many point, have so many appointments in a day for them to be able to bill so much that that takes away from what some doctors really set out to really want to do and really want to help patients. Like I genuinely think these doctors want to help us. I just think that sometimes the system is, has to be so rigid that they get trapped in meeting a lot of these metrics. And I, and I feel those metrics significantly more at the adult level than at the pediatric level. Now I'm sure they are at the pediatric level and I just don't see it. But it, it's definitely much more evident when you switch over into adult care. I 100% agree. I don't feel people, um, I should say doctors, have ill intention at all when entering this field. Like, in my opinion, yes, they're ma- they make a lot of money, but I don't think they make enough for how much they sacrifice their lives for their jobs. And I do feel like the system and financial component of it being a business is the reason it struggles to provide appropriate care at times because money is the motivator. Yeah. And it's money. Or if you're in like an academic field, it's how much research can each of these doctors produce. And if they're specialists in a certain area, that's probably where their research lies. So if they're spending all of their spare time when they're not with patients on their their couple research projects that they're working on, how much does that leave for the rare disease patient that doesn't have a lot of specialists that even understand their disease? Me being solution focused, like trying to find alternatives to make this work for us as patients. A couple things I think are important with um, managing these new patient appointments with new doctors is, um, like I said earlier, I had a negative experience with like setting up ROIs and, you know, releases of information and, and getting my records to new people. However, maybe it just, you know, is needed for more follow-up. Maybe a week before the appointment, I follow up again, like, hey, can you make sure the doctor received my stuff? Um, You know, as a little bit of a reminder for them, which kind of sucks that we have to do that. But realistically, like, as we all know, we have to manage our own care. Nobody's there fighting for us the way that we have to. I know our doctors care deeply about us, but at the end of the day, like, we have to do that ourselves. I feel like I'm the queen of the follow-up messages. I I actually literally just sent one this morning to my doctor because I realized I hadn't heard back in about a week. There's like, there's definitely an art to it. It's not a, you never responded to me, what's going on? It's more of a, hey, just a quick little nudge, just letting you know this is coming up. Um, do you have an update on this? Or looking forward to chatting next week. It, I, I feel like it has to be a very genuine, like, pleasant message because you don't want someone just to look at it and get annoyed that you're reaching out either. Yeah. And I think that's important as the patient to remember too, and how you communicate that is that although, sorry, if anyone can hear Chewy in the back, he's been a patient this week. He had 
his stomach surgery, like we talked about in the last podcast. So he's recovering and almost has his cone off, but he's a little sassy. Um, but when following up with those communication um, emails or phone calls, whatever it is, just remember that, yes, like they are our doctors, but there are also doctors too many, many, many other people that are on their mind. And our care is really important. Um, but sometimes it gets, you know, slips their mind, which is totally, we have to be okay with that too, of sending those reminders, understanding that our doctors are human at the end of the day, they're not robots. And a little follow-up can be uh, appreciated. I also think it's important too, to remember that although your question might be really important to you in the moment. It also might not be the most urgent thing on their list. Um, Our doctors deal with some really tough situations. And although we have chronic conditions and we're working on managing it, sometimes they do have things that have much bigger priority because they are more important for someone else. So just kind of keeping that in mind too is it's not that they're intentionally not able to quickly respond. It's They are busy for very good reasons. Yeah. And I think remembering too, although we have our issues with stability ourselves, um, I'm home right now, right? Like that's huge. And there's a lot of people that aren't home right now and are in a hospital and, um, you know, my doctor does the rounds for them. So it's like thinking too that, um, you know, they're not forgetting you. Sometimes they're just really, really busy. So going back to the the topic of the day of new doctor's appointments, um, one thing that I know I personally I need to work on is knowing that not every doctor is going to give the same experience as my worst experience. And what I, what I mean by that is I feel like as rare disease patients, or at least in my experience, I can't speak for everyone, I've had a lot of doctors who we start out like really great experience and then they kind of drop me or they just pass me on to someone else and forget about me. And I need to let myself understand that not everyone's like that. Not everyone's going to let me down in that way. Um, So for me, I think it's hard for me to trust a new doctor because like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Is this going to be someone that's going to follow me or is this someone that in three months is going to be like, yeah, you really don't need to see me. Um, so, so for me personally, when I go to these new doctor's appointments, I need to try to check myself and make sure that I'm being fair to the situation I'm in. Completely agree with that. I think there's the emotional component of trust that we've talked about before of, you know, these people being new to us. And I've had doctors do me wrong in the past and, you know, not go with an appropriate method of treatment. And so, I, I think now that we have a diagnosis too, it's understanding that like there's more knowledge now. They're not treating us blind, um, but that's still like an emotional part that's really hard for us to overcome. I find that going into these appointments too, my level of anxiety is like through the roof. Like even the smallest thing sets me off both before the appointment and even within like 48 hours after the appointment, like there's still a lot that like I'm decompressing of like, did I say that correctly? Did I share enough? Did I tell them about this? Did I miss this? Oh my gosh, I forgot to do this. Like, I just, I think that there's definitely this emotional toll and we we talk about it for our normal appointments, but I think it's much, much worse with a doctor you really don't know. 
Definitely. Cause you don't know quite what to expect. If I go to my doctor, I have an idea of what the appointment's going to be like and how it's going to be set up, which quite honestly provides a lot of comfort. Right. And even down to like how they do like the physical exam, like, um, I, we, we've talked about my spleen being an issue. I'm so used to how my doctor, my normal doctor, like checks my spleen and how like gentle they are with it. And this time I had two different doctors that approached it completely different. And to be honest, it hurt for like hours after the appointment. Cause it was just, I don't think they realized what they were doing was hurting. And it's, it's just like a matter of like, you have to get into this cadence of like this, this is, is what works for you this really doesn't work um like even just now talking about it i feel like i inherently feel my spleen hurting just remembering the pain <laughs> um but it it's not because there's ever, ever an intent it's just that they have to get used to you just like you have to get used to them i completely agree with that and i think a lot of this is like understanding patients on both sides right like there needs to be patience from them for us and our needs. There needs to be patience from us in our way we, you know, communicate. But it's really hard. There's a delicate balance and a very much a gray area of am I being um too much or is this needed? And unfortunately, I've been I've been in a lot of situations outside of the doctor I've seen for a decade now that they need kind of a push sometimes in adult care. And it's it's so hard to find that balance in order to receive your care. Yeah, and I think this is something, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see much change in it in our lifetimes. I I think it, it's something that rare disease patients face. And we hear it, we've heard it from just about everyone we've had on our show. We've heard it from people who reach out to us in between our episodes that, Managing this is almost as worrisome as actually managing our diseases because there, there's so much that you feel like you have to advocate for yourself or for your family and so much that you have to organize, be organized. Like if we didn't have our planners and didn't have our calendars, we wouldn't be able to function with both our personal lives and our disease lives. There's just a lot of added steps that I don't think that people who don't have these chronic rare diseases don't quite know that we deal with each day. Recently too, something I've just noticed about your appointments and your work schedule is you've really had to work around work lately. You've managed to get it done and do what you need to do. But I think sometimes it gets lost how much of a time barrier it is and how flexible you've had to be to coordinate stuff and like make sure you're fulfilling what you need while also um, you know, going to your appointments, there's nights that I'm like, why is Liz still awake? And then I go in the morning, I'm like, why is Liz up so early? You know, but like, you're trying to do it all. And I, I see that. And I think it's something that I don't think my work really truly understands, but I also don't think my doctors don't understand. Um, I know like my last point, one of my last appointments, I frequently will travel during lunchtime. So, like, I'll drive into the city at lunch and usually get my blood work when I get there. So that way, if I'm hungry, I can eat before my appointment. And then I'll work, like, down in, like, a little table near the cafeteria area until I have to actually go up for my appointments. And I know one of my last appointments, um, my doctors called. They're like, are you still on site? Like, we were actually running ahead of schedule. Can you just come up? And they commented, they're like, 
why do you come so early? And I was like, well, I, I come early, so I don't have to take time off of work to come here. Like, I, I travel when I'm able to take my breaks and get the stuff done I need to. But, like, it's not like I'm just hanging around reading a book downstairs. I, I, I'm writing emails from work. I'm reviewing stuff that my staff have done for work, trying to get stuff accomplished, getting – I'm an auditor, so I try to get audit reports written while in there. Like, there's just a lot that I I do from those tables in the cafeteria. Um, and it, it's interesting because I had a, a big team meeting in Florida with my whole team, my whole global team. And there's like a hundred of us. And we were just having dinner one night and I was talking to one of my fellow managers and we were talking about, I was actually telling her about this podcast and she's like, well, how do you manage all that? And I started explaining that I do this and I drive at lunchtime. She's like, does anyone here know that you do that? Like, have you told people, like, do they know that like you probably need more time off? I'm like, no, I've used all my sick days. I, I do what I can because I don't want it to impact my career, but I still know I need to get to these appointments. I totally feel that. Yeah. It's, that's really hard emotionally. I, I feel that all the time too, of wanting to make sure I'm not jeopardizing my career to like manage this like thing we didn't ask for. Right. But I think we both do a pretty good job of of doing that. And it's funny, like a lot of people seem to think that podcasts are a lot of work too. And I'm like, but that's like Liz and I's like mental health time to like catch up and talk and chat. And um, there's something very therapeutic about just like talking to a friend about all of this when um, we we have those thoughts in our head anyway during the week. And it, it's funny because I do feel like I've gotten that question of like, if you're so busy, how do you have time to do this? If you can see like our video right now, I'm literally like curled up like under a blanket, like sitting on my bed with a sweatshirt and leggings on. Taylor's curled up on the couch with her dog on her lap. Like it's a Sunday morning. We're just chatting, having coffee. It, it really isn't as much work as people think it is. No, I have last night's mascara still running down my face. <laughs> it's not a cute look. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we do. And I think it's working for us okay. Because if I expected any more from us, we wouldn't be continuing this. I can't imagine. Agreed. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, we really do appreciate all of our listeners. We're thankful for the community you've helped provide us as we've gone through this journey. So thank you for listening. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.